Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. And this week is a little bit different. I am not joined by an adventure game developer, but I am joined by somebody who will be I'm sure a huge help to a lot of venture game developers and game developers in general and anybody in general, really. But I'm joined by Lewis Woodhouse from Neon Bedlam. And Neon Bedlam, as we're going to find out, is a PR and marketing agency dedicated to video game developers. So hello, Lewis. How are you? Uh, I'm all good. I'm all good. Uh, Shawsha. I hope I got that right. Yes. Um, yes. Wow. It's, yeah. it's almost like we were discussing the yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can't let that slip. But no, um, I'm I'm all good. Uh, thank you very much. But yes, um, as I said, yeah, from Neon Bedlam, a PR marketing agency that we focus on the video game industry. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out more about your company because, as, as I just told you before we started recording, I saw your well your company on Twitter a few days ago, and I thought, wow, I really need to speak to these people. <laughs> Because this is, I think this could be what, exactly what a lot of adventure game developers would be crying out for. And also, I think, in general, a lot of people would want to know more about this as well. So, before we do get to, to your company and to video, well, uh, video games you've worked on and advice you may have in general, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and say what, well, if you have any favorite adventure games or even any any particular games that are your favorite at all. Um, so, yes, yeah, so you can introduce yourself and just say, yeah, you can say what your favorite general games are. Yeah, no worries. So, um, as you said, but, yep, I'm Lewis. Um, I've been, cool, favorite games. So, my, my main kind of uh, game niche that I really sink the most hours into would be card games, CCGs. Um, I played competitive Gwent. I played uh, competitive a game called Mythgard. I play competitive Magic the Gathering. Uh, they're kind of games I really sink, sink time into. Um, and I also, stemming off that, I like a lot of kind of similar to adventure games, but like adventure deck building games. I really like uh, diving into those. Obviously, the most common one that will come to mind that everyone will probably know or everyone would at least have heard of um, would be Slave Aspire. There's other ones out there like Trials of Fire that I uh, really enjoy. Grifflands, one I've been playing recently. So they're kind of my main games I play at the moment. Uh, I'm also a bit of a sucker for looter shooters. I quite like them because you can kind of get up at, I don't know, early doors, seven o'clock in the morning, grab a coffee, and you haven't got to think about what you're doing. You just kill the enemies on the screen. You pick up the loot, you equipped it, and you carry on. Um, I suppose the looter shooters are very much a kind of a subgenre, right, of, of adventure games. They have those mild rpg elements but they don't ever overcomplicate themselves because they're not a, a full rpg adventure game uh but in terms of with this being an adventure game podcast uh like the game and this is probably uh, apologies if you've had millions of interviewers say this game uh but it's this this is the game that effectively this sounds very cliche but it got me into gaming it was the game that very much Opened my eyes to the game and it sucked me in. It was Final Fantasy VII. I remember getting it for Ooh, Christmas. Yes, yes. And um, and at the time, I think the only games I played before that around my friend's house would be Mario One, Two, and Three, Duck Hunt, 
And that was probably about it. I was I never really had a console and I'd play around my friend's house and I remember getting the PlayStation for Christmas with Final Fantasy Seven and being like, What's this game? This isn't Mario. And then that was it. That that completely changed my life, just sitting in my room and playing that and just being like, Oh my god, how how can a how can a game look this good? Um so yeah, that that'll be my kind of uh, bit of a long winded answer. So apologies for no, that. No, um, not at all. It's actually very short. We've had um We've had I've had people on this podcast who've been about twenty minutes, half an hour talking about their favorite games. So. Oh wow, wow! So yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of there's like there's tons of games out there. Um, but yeah, keeping it keeping it short and sweet then in terms of uh, relation to this podcast would be um, yeah, Final Fantasy VII is the go to, and obviously the remake is dropping. Mm, I was going to uh, ask you about that. Ten days time, yeah, and I'm so I played the demo. I like I try to keep this short, but I. I was very apprehensive. Obviously, we've seen all the stuff about the game. There's no denying the game looked absolutely stunning. But games can look stunning and still not deliver. We've seen that millions of times. Mm-hmm. And I was so apprehensive. And I remember I knew the demo was coming. Um, so I, I, I woke up early in the morning. I, I got myself a coffee. I sat myself down, headphones on. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to zone out. I just want to play this game. It was like a, a big moment for me. I've been really excited to do it. And the demo finished, I think it was about an hour, an hour and 20 minutes in into the, the demo and it, it wraps up. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, that is probably the best job that could have been done with the remake. It was absolutely incredible. They they take they took some great elements from later games in the series, like Final Fantasy XII with the kind of real-time combat elements and, and linked it in to still have the kind of turn-based elements, but real-time movements, a little bit like Final Fantasy XV as well um the game looked incredible the, the what seemed to be the way the the characters were interacting seemed very uh true to the lore from final fantasy 7 so, i mean i've played through final fantasy 7 eight or nine times now i own it on about wow. six different platforms so yeah it's um it's a game that is very very i'm very fond of so this remake is i'm super excited for i i'm actually gonna buy it twice i know this sound crazy but with the whole epidemic happening in the world, mm-hmm. the physical release has already, they've already come out and said that there's a very high chance you won't get a physical release at launch. Even if you pre-ordered it, it's, it's a high chance it's going to be delayed. could be a day, could be a couple of days, could be a week. So I'm, I've pre-ordered it because I want the physical stuff that comes with the, um, comes with the special edition of the physical copy, but I've also pre-ordered it digitally as well. So I can play it the day it drops. Um, I know that sounds a little bit overkill, I've I've known of people who bought games, you know, like six or seven times when they're out on different <laughs> platforms. So again, a game like that by twice, it doesn't sound like overkill to me personally. So it's <laughs> yeah, so no, so I'm I'm super excited about that. But um, yeah, so that's um, like I said, card games are my main thing I play now. I do stream card games actually as a kind of little hobby on the side. Uh, but I'm mainly yeah, looter shooters, so stuff like Destiny Two. I'm actually jumped back into Division Two recently. Uh, with some friends they're just great games to kind of it, it's back go back to when i was 21 years old i'd be going down the pub and drinking beer and, and socializing now i just drink beer and and play loot shooters with friends because it's it's cheaper so um yeah so that and then obviously uh in terms of favorite adventure game if, if i'm allowed to, i'm pretty sure it falls under the the adventure game umbrella would be final fantasy 7 yeah, uh, I mean, look, it's narrative game anyway, so I'll, I'll allow it, you know, because I I did play that. Um, f- first of all, was the game with the remake delayed? Is that delayed by any chance? Because I thought so I read it, that somewhere. Yeah, so or... it was initially delayed. It was meant to be releasing late last year, and it got pushed. No, sorry, it was meant to be releasing March. It got pushed back to mm. April. 
Oh, uh, right. Okay. That's, yeah. So April the 10th is when it is releasing. Okay. And, um, yeah, but they've, they've come out now. And I quite like the fact that they've come out and said, look, there is all this stuff happening in the world at the mm. moment. So chances are physical copies are going to be delayed rather than um, just people not getting them on, on day one, day two. Um, so, sure, yeah. But yeah. And, no, so and is this going to be episodic as well, the remake? That I, yeah. That I, it, okay. Yeah. It's such a big game, and the original was so, so big. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> episodic. And I kind of, for me, I quite like that because a lot of people, some yeah. people are complaining about it. Uh, uh, but it, it takes it back to the discs for me. Like, I remember, like there were obviously three discs on the original game. And, um, I mean, each episode they've said is going to be bringing, if you want to do all the end game, and that's in, in inverted commas, because obviously end game for that episode and, and, and play what you can for that, that episode, then they've said it's going to be between 40 and 60 hours gameplay per episode. So you're talking like... Wow, that's... Yeah, like <laughs> a, a beastie old amount of, of content. I mean, the main game, if you wanted to... If you really went to find everything in the main game, you were looking at 100 to 150 hours gameplay anyway. So, right, yeah. yeah, it's... um, Yeah, it is episodic. I think the big issue they've got to be careful of is they don't end up leaving like a year between episodes. If they end up mm-hmm. having a year between episodes and people are going to... By the time episode three comes out, people the, it could be anything else around. Okay, so people might not be interested in uh in, in finishing the story anymore because they kind of know the story anyway because it's a remake. <laughs> so yeah, I, I suppose that's probably the main concern with episodic games because there are advantages and disadvantages to what I see. But you have something like uh, Telltale, you know, release games pretty much regularly. And I know with Life is Strange too. I know people had to wait, I think, four months for release. But yeah, then there is, yeah, but then there is Kentucky Kentucky Route Zero, which I believe they released the last acts a few weeks ago at the time of recording, and people had to wait years for the last act to be <laughs> yeah. released. So I guess I suppose that is the main concern with with episodic games, as you mentioned with Final Fantasy as well. Although Final Fantasy, I guess, it's a big release. That people will still be, I think, be excited about it anyway. Um, But yeah, no, I remember myself. uh, Final Fantasy VII was one of the first real games that I played as well. It was, uh, again, the first games that I played as a kid were FIFA. You know, mm-hmm. even back then there was FIFA, yeah. which is, I believe it is FIFA 93, I believe, or 94 or something that I remember playing. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, of course, and Mario. And then as I got older, I played, I can't remember which was which came first, but I know we played both Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid for yeah. the PS1. I say I, I just remember borrowing Metal Gear from a friend because mm. they, they didn't like it because they kept getting stuck. And, yeah. and they thought, <laughs> they were like, no, I don't like this game. It's rubbish. It's too hard. And I borrowed it, and I remember just playing it and being like, "Oh my god, you can get in a box! Like <laughs> you can hide. People can't see me. Like I, yeah, it blew my mind. That game was like next level. Um, oh yeah, the c- cinematics on, on that in particular were. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't really know what was going on. I'll be honest. That I was, I was very young at the time. Although if I played it again, I probably still wouldn't really follow the story. It's so oh, complicated. It's, you know, right? So you just. You, you follow what you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but just yeah. everything, like the cinematics, the visuals, the acting yeah. was just just so incredible. And then with Final Fantasy VII as well, when I played that with friend, those two games with a friend of mine. Now, we did use a walkthrough when we were stuck, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. But he, he wanted to go, when we found the Chocobos, he wanted to 
go off with the chocobos and breed the chocobos, but I just wanted to get on with the story. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and then with with Eris, uh, you know, when you can go on a date, I think at the first time when we were playing, and when she, I think when she asked you, when she asked Cloud, if you would like to go, I, I, I probably misremember this, but she, I think she asks you something, and you either choose yes or no. And I was telling him, say yes, but then I don't know if it was by accident or if he did it on purpose, but he chose no. And we actually had a legitimate argument over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh, memories. You know, back back then when we, you know, <laughs> fought with small things like that. <laughs> yeah, when, when arguments were based in video games. If only life is that simple nowadays, eh? No, I know. Yeah, now it's... Uh, well, all, all sorts of different things, but well, we still have arguments with video games, but <laughs> yes. yes, definitely. But um, but yeah, no, Final Fantasy VII definitely. It's uh, you know, it's one of the best ones up there as well. And yeah, so we'll see with the remake. I might get that as well. We ha- we'll have nothing but time anyway for the foreseeable in- future, I imagine. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, I'll be thinking. I've already not finishing it in two days, and being like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> what can I do now?" <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm still stuck in the house now, but um, oh, hopefully this won't go on too long. But anyway, um, well, so now you we mentioned as well that you were part of the company Neon Bedlam. Yep. And so, as one, if you could tell us just who you are, when did you set up? And what your objectives are? Yeah, no worries. Uh, so Neon Bedlam is actually brand spanking new January this year, uh, and that's not to say that I've only been doing oh. marketing for three months. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> uh, four months, almost four months. But I, um, so I got into uh, and again. I, I try and keep this nice, tight, and compact, but informative. And I, yeah. I take as long as you into, need. <laughs> I got into the, indie, uh, the, the the video game industry, like, and I use that very loosely. About six years ago, when I started um, just a blog, I just randomly, one day I woke up and thought, you know what, I, I love, I have a friend who we always meet for coffee, and we, most Saturday mornings, and we would just chat about what we've been playing, what we like, like what we've enjoyed about, what we haven't been liking about it, and then there could be, there could be, again, like you said, not heated talk discussions, but I would like one element of the game, and they wouldn't like another element of the game, and you know, I loved kind of sharing my opinions on games. So I mm. thought, you know what, let's make a blog. So I, I created a blog about six years ago, and ran that blog for, for three, nearly four years, uh, and the podcast is actually on hiatus at the moment, but we had an indie game podcast going along with it, and the blog was solely based on indie games. And that kind of that that opened up a lot of doors for me. I, I managed to go to lots of different events. Uh, EGX, EGX Resed. Um, we went to. We never done um, E3. That was unfortunately one we, we didn't do. But we done a lot of the European events. Uh, we done PAX a couple of times. Uh, I say we. I done PAX a couple of times. <laughs> but it was it was all really good. And I that opened up a look. Like said a, a lot of opportunities for me. And. I kind of found myself being approached by game developers to because I was writing about these different games and I was very much in the ecosystem of indie games. I was getting press copies. I was playing games early. I was writing reviews on games and I was I was very much in the know with what was kind of trendy at that time. And I kind of had a couple of indie game developer friends and I say friends as in people I kind of build built acquaintances with over my time at these events and, and through email come and just approach me out of nowhere and say, hey, like, I think I'm releasing the game in, in three months' time. Like, 
do you know what's the best, how I release on this platform, who I approach for this, do you know how I go? And then I was like, rather than saying, no, I don't know, because I didn't know at the time, it was more of a case of, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll find out for you, because I knew I had contacts from other press people, from other PR people and marketing people. So I contact them and say, hey, I've got an indie guy, and yeah, no worries, well, this is what we recommend chatting to. And I kind of was a middle person for about a year of, as I kind of, you open that can of worms, right, where you do it for one dev, and and the, the gaming industry is so massive, but it's also so intimate in terms of everyone knows everyone to a certain extent. And you do a good job with one person, and all of a sudden that drip feeds down through five, six, 10, 20 different developers. So then within a year, I had I had about 15 developers I was freelancing for doing marketing consultancy. And I was like, how am I doing this? I'm not, I'm not qualified in marketing. I'm not, <laughs> I didn't go to university and study for a degree in marketing. So I then started to take an online course about learning the basics of marketing, which was actually pretty useless because uh, it's all based around like business marketing. So I learned some basic key terms, some basic practices that you would, but it was all very much around how you'd sell and market a product, which you, although a game is that, it's it's different in certain aspects because in the indie game industry, you're not looking at trying to go, oh, look, we're releasing this indie game. Let's try and think of a game, for example. Um, Disco Elysium, I know you guys played that recently, and it's it's one that I know a lot, probably people who listen to this podcast will be very familiar with, with being mm-hmm. as incredible as it is. In my opinion, I'll just say that in case anyone's listening and like, no. Um, <laughs> I haven't um, crossed those people yet. But... <laughs> no, neither have I, but I just want to just, just, just keep on. <laughs> so, no, um, so my job isn't a case of, my job wasn't a case of going, oh, let's get this physical copy of Disco Elysium uh, to the top of the Amazon store, which it would be in basic product marketing, right? It was more of a case of, well, I need to find these niche subreddits these forums these groups these little communities of these gamers that i know are going to be dying for a game like disco elysium and i need to connect with them and i need to know what keywords they're using so i can get it in their hands get them knowing about this game and that's where the marketing for video games is vastly different compared to marketing for almost anything else in the world is that because it's such a big because there are so many communities within one big community it's very much trying to find your community and get your voice to your community and that's something i kind of i learned i I took two or three years to learn and over that time i learned i worked with some um some i say prestigious companies especially in the indie game world um i've done some freelance work for curve digital i've done some freelance work for focus home interactive i've done some freelance work for um devolver digital so as, as well as some smaller developers along the way and it was then last year I decided, I was like, do you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm being paid for this. I keep having these developers come back to me. I I, I appear to be doing a good job. They, they like what I'm doing. I'm, my feedback's great. The, the developers are passing on my information to other developers. So I was like, maybe I should just make a business of this. Maybe I should actually, rather than me just being this freelance marketer, why don't I actually make a, a business of it, make it an actual legitimate thing? So that's kind of what I've done. That's where Neon Bedlam stemmed from. And uh, I spent from about October last year up to Christmas uh, developing a website, building up, fleshing out my contact list, fleshing out all sorts of stuff, kind of building a business plan, all this jazz. So then in January, I was ready to go. Bang, there we go. Doors are open. And it's been an incredibly, I'm incredibly grateful for how kind the developers have been this year. It's being a new company in such a saturated market, being the game market. I've had so many 
people who approach us and say, hey, can you do some work for us? And, and we've approached people and done work for them. And it's just been, it's it's humbling, right? As, as a content creator yourself, mm. and although I'm not yes. a direct content creator, but when people come to you without you having to find them and they approach you to say nice things or ask for services, it's very humbling. And it's, yeah, it's, I've been humbled. I, I I cease to be amazed yet of how how generous and how nice the gaming community can be. And um, yeah, we've, we've, we've effectively turned into a full-fledged company now. We have some nice paying clients on the books and we're doing some good work. And I'm now learning, I'm taking everything I've learned over the last five years and then put it into to Neon Bedlam. I have a, there's one other person who works for us as a freelance. They get paid very much based on if there's a launch of a game coming up. It can be a pretty manic time. if We've got a lot of deadlines to try and hit for, for certain parts. So they're paid very much freelance on that. But they pretty much do what I used to do. So, yeah. Um, but that's that, hopefully that wasn't hopefully no, that that's, sense. And that was yeah, really no, ab- for people to understand. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you say that you did the online course, you know, it struck me as yeah. well. And But what seems to have worked for you is on-the-job, shall we say, experience. Because that's, you know, in, in my case, before I did this podcast, I had never done anything like a podcast or radio or any sort of editing but i i thought oh i want a podcast about current adventure games there were one or two other podcasts but they dealt mostly with and they still some of them exist to deal with uh mainly older adventure games and i said they're great but i want to help the you know to to talk to current adventure game developers and see if I can do a podcast with the latest news with that, because there's nothing like it. And yeah, it's kind of taken. It's not a big podcast by any by any means, but I've been learning on the job yeah. as as you go along. And you seem to be doing the same. You saw a gap in the market for what developers and publishers and people kind of want, because you know, it's, I think what a lot of people like is you know making the game and developing the game. But then it comes to actually marketing. It's like, oh boy, yeah. there's so many other games on the market. How yeah. do we get this on the market, and how do we stand out? Yeah, and it's so, and it, it, that's that's always a tricky question. I yeah. I have for me personally, <laughs> in terms of a kind of how do I approach it? Because I obviously I, I said to you this before we actually even started officially recording the podcast, but. Uh, obviously as a business to keep lights on we need to make money so we have to charge Mm -hmm. developers x amount of money for for different services but then on the other hand it's like we see these great indie games come about that have you know they have no budget because someone's making them uh in in their spare bedroom they're doing six till nine o'clock every night after they've done eight hours at work Mm -hmm. and they've done it over the last three years and they're very passionate about this game but they can't afford to go put put marketing money into a game and, and the average marketing bu- budget for a, an indie game now just a, a base indie game is around between five and ten thousand pounds so that's a lot of money to try and get your game out game out there and that's that's class a small budget if you're going down as we were talking earlier that kind of middle ground indie not not quite indie not quite triple a you're looking at they're getting into the 20 30 thousand pound marketing budget if you're looking at your triple a's they're going anything up to two hundred and fifty thousand pounds marketing budgets and there's a reason people put money into marketing is because I don't, this is going to sound crazy. Someone here who's to talk about marketing saying that marketing is important, but it is a case, isn't it? Like there's this roughly 40 games released every week on steam. And, um, and, and I always have that issue of saying, I want to help you 
and I'm happy to give you advice, but we can't do everything for free. And I, but I want to, <laughs> I, I want to being in, being a video game fan, being an indie game fan, being a big, very passionate about indie games. I want to almost just say, Oh, do you know what? Yeah. Here's how you do it. Here's everything. Here's our contact list. We'll cover it. Great. But unfortunately we can't. And that's one thing I always really struggle with, but we do, I will quickly say, um, we do. If there are any developers out there, and what I do share this, this is actually on the website, but I, obviously I don't expect people just to stumble across it. But if there are any developers out there who have got a game release coming up anytime soon, we do offer a service where it's just a like a complete free advice service. We're not going to basically market your game for you. We're going to be plans or anything like that. But if anyone has any questions or any issues or any concerns or they just want to know how to eat something as simple as how do I build out my mailing list? How do I build out a contact list to, to be able to get some PR outreach myself. If there's anything like that, people can contact us through the website. There's a contact page. I'm pretty sure uh, you've done that yourself, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Sure, sir. <laughs> and um, and, and we will, I will reply and I will give I will give out free advice as much as I, as, until I'm blue in the face. Um, so if any, any developers out there do want free advice, we will give free advice. We don't charge for advice. We only charge for our services. Okay, that sounds good. It's very generous of you because as you mentioned, you, you want to help all these developers, especially indie developers, but of course you have to make money. It is a business. Yeah. And there are so many people, you know, like that with including in the indie game market. And we can we can use Dave Gilbert as a, as an example because he's spoken about this publicly many times. That he yeah. first of all started making game for free using the Adventure Game Studio, and then he went uh, I think about 10, 15 years ago to charging for his games and now he said at first he had kind of the guilt because there were very few indie games at that time and very few indie game developers and so one of the things he did was he made a developer's commentary and I asked him why did he did that because it'd be so much more work and he said he wanted to give something extra <laughs> yeah that again and that came because he felt guilty charging for for his game and also you know also Francisco Gonzalez, when he made the Ben Jordan series, they're all free. All of those games are free, the Ben Jordan games. And I asked him, I said, why did you charge for any of those games, particularly the last few games? And again, he said, well, I started making these games for free, so I thought it was only fair to make, you know, to finish making these games for free. So again, it's very generous of everyone here, but at the same time, you also have to make money. So. Yes, that, that, exactly. <laughs> it. it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, unfortunately. Yeah, but uh, it's very generous of you guys that you do offer this free free advice and you charge for services. And I suppose we can take you to, can take us to my next question, which is what services do you provide? So if the developer contacted you and wanted to know what services you offer, how you could help them market the game and get the word out there, you know, more so than than advice. Uh, what particular services do you guys offer? Uh, so, that's probably a loaded question. It could be a lot of things. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a lot of things. We're very content heavy with our marketing, or we offer very content heavy services. What I should offer, we should say, um, and what I mean by that is we we can offer we can be as, as hands on as people like. For example, we offer full trailer production development and um, and distribution. We offer branding. We, we've had games come to us and say something's not quite right about the game like i'm putting out there people aren't interested in it and we'll look at it and we'll say okay well this is the issue your logo doesn't make any sense the color scheme doesn't fit the game at all 
it's like I don't know, I don't know. It's, it, you're coming out of sort of a survival horror game, and and your logo isn't scary. It doesn't have any intrigue or mystery or a sense of suspense about it. Um, and then so we can do we do stuff like that. We do basic kind of um, well from basic brand branding all the way up to advanced branding. Like we don't we've done a full branding for a game at the moment. I can't actually mention the game. Apologies. But don't worry. <laughs> we um, where where we they basically come to us. The game isn't releasing until probably the, win- the release window is late 2021. But they're starting to want to build traction and they want to attend PAX this year and they want to get a get their press release and an announcement out for the game this summer, which is about right. You want to be aiming for about 14, 12 to 14 months before release to start building traction and you can start getting your campaign going. But they come to us and and we play the game. And that's one thing I do ask a lot of people is, can I play the game first? Because it's very much a case of, it's easy me looking at screenshots and videos, but you get that feeling for a game, right? How it feels. How do I feel as the player? And then that's how I can help you help people out. There's not always the case because not everyone has a, a complete build of their game when they actually come to us. We played this game and instantly I was like, well, your the gameplay here is contradicting what your logo is trying to do. They feel like two different games. So we sat down. Um, I have a freelance artist that I use. I sent them over some stuff. They sent it back and then they instantly liked it. We changed. We actually completely changed the name of the game and we helped them with that. And then all of a sudden... I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, we fixed it because it was a clay to there, but we've done it together. We've, we had several meetings together, but now their social media presence, people are starting to interact a little bit more now. And people are starting to comment on a little bit more now. Now, there might be a case of pe- uh, new people have seen the game. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it was us that made those people see the game. But I personally feel, and the developers feel, the two, two developers both feel like it is a lot more of a single product now. It feels like the, the logo perfectly sits well with what the gameplay is trying to do and the art style and everything like that. So that's one service we offer. We then offer, obviously, your, your basic PR outreach. Now, if people are listening and then some developers might be like, PR outreach, what do you mean by PR outreach? Um, that's so it's public relation outreach. So we, we would create press releases and we would send it out to... Uh, Press outlets would send it out to influencers, would send it out to YouTubers, would send it out to Twitch streamers, everyone like that. And just an announcement one would mostly go to press because there's no point sending, hey, we've got a game coming out in 14 months' time to a streamer because they're just going to delete that. They don't care about that. Streamers want the keys or they want to know that there's a game coming out in a week's time that they can get excited about or maybe a month's time that they can get excited about. So we send it to press and we start chasing people up and being like, hey, did you get a press release? Cool. Any other queries about the game? No? Okay. Do you fancy putting any content out about the game? Sometimes I say, do you know what we're swamped at the moment? This is like, I use IGN, for example, because I know a lot of people know IGN. Now, IGN, for example, they will very much be doing data tracking on what is hot at the moment. So let's say card games are hot at the moment, because I know last month card games were very hot on the internet, and a lot of people were searching for card games, mostly because Legends of Runeterra dropped, and Magic... Magic the Gathering announced their next uh, expansion. So because that's hot, all of a sudden their content will be more card heavy. So then I can approach the developer and say, hey, you're making this deck building game. If we can get a press release out now, buddy, and I get it over to IGN, because this is a hot topic at the moment, here's the stats and the evidence from the internet, there's a higher chance they're going to cover it. Whereas if we send it in a cold month where adventure games are big or FPSs are big, then Unless it's a, a big game that's really going to bring in their audience, they're just going to go, a company like IGN that's as big as IGN will just go, we don't need to see that. They probably get 100 press releases a day. 
um, mm. about different different games. And you've got to really choose your time of when to send it to something like that. Obviously, smaller companies, we then look at tailoring the press release to really sell the game. Um, that kind of then falls under the branding, how people sell their games, which is something I want to get onto a little bit later in the podcast when, when you come up. Because I know you mentioned about um, one of the questions was how do you get your game to stand out? And I have a few things mm-hmm. uh, to help people with that. Um, but then we, like I said, we can, we can make trailers. And then we go down to, again, we're working with another developer at the moment. This got delayed, obviously, because uh, current world situations where we were doing a launch party in London. And that's like a, a physical event. We have actual press people going along to play the game. And uh, we were having themed pizzas based around the game. But that had to get delayed uh, because the game's release has been delayed. Again, I can't mention what game it is, I'm afraid. But that's working with a publisher. So we're, we don't always work directly with developers. We sometimes work with publishers because some of these publishers will have maybe between eight and 10 games releasing this year. And then people might be sitting there now thinking, well, if I go to a publisher and they and they put their marketing and PR out to a third party company, what's the, what's that publisher doing? Well, the publisher is getting you onto said platforms. Let's say you want to get your game onto PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. That can cost up to between 30 and 40,000 pounds alone. So the publisher is going to be doing that for you. They're going to be getting that game onto those platforms. They're, they'll be marketing themselves as well, but they would just sometimes they reach out more for just PR outreach or something a bit more bespoke, like an event organization. Uh, so then, like I said, we're working with venue and we're working we're working with this publisher to make sure we had a nice launch event planned. Um, and then another service we offer that we've recently started doing, so we're working now with a company called 983 Media, who are an esports tournament organizer. But we're working with them to get uh, streaming events basically kicking off with a launch event of the game. So we we are working, um, well, we're in talks. I can talk about this one actually. There's a game releasing soon, um, Curve Digital game releasing soon in the next couple of months called Hot Shot Racing, which is a, a throwback to your kind of outrun, top gear, old school style um, racers. Or kind of um, Sega Rally as well, a little bit on there. And um, we are currently actively talking with them. It's nothing set in stone about potentially, well, it's a fun multiplayer game about getting a streaming event going. So we'll have maybe 16, not huge streamers, but we're talking your, what we could call like a mid-tier streamer to come in, play the game, compete online. We'll be casting the tournaments. We'll be commentating over it and reselling the game to kind of build up this excitement that people can watch the game and go, oh my God, this looks great fun. I can play this with my friends online. Brilliant, I'm in. Uh, so that's another kind of service we offer. There is all our services available on the website, but it's, I don't want to sit here and, get, and start getting very dry and go, well, this is this service and this is this service. But yeah, but basically... <laughs> no, I think that, that's great. I mean, I think you've been very clear there about exactly what you offer. And, and as I said, when I when I saw, when I went through the website as well, I thought, wow, this this sounds generally great that no other company that I know of offers these ser- services for, you know, these events. Yeah, well, like a lot of... Um, I mean, there's some huge marketing companies out there, like a lot bigger. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we're the... the the only one out there but there are these there are other marketing companies out there and a lot of them i'm, I'm friends with because i've worked with them over the mm. last five six years doing my freelance stuff and some of them only offer pr outreach and, and mm. press list but they'll charge maybe twice the amount of us the reason they do so is they where they have maybe 15 years experience in the industry their outreach is so much further when they send the press release something like Eurogamer or ign 
it gets covered, guaranteed, because they've got that relationship there. Mm. We have a great relationship with the mid-tier press people. We don't. We we're still very much building our relationships with the the bigger the uh, bigger outlets. The biggest outlet we probably have a good relationship with is Rock Paper Shotgun, and so we're, we're pretty good at kind of getting content uh, on on Rock Paper Shotgun. But then they won't offer content creation. We kind of offer a bit of. A, I don't want to say full package and trying to sound like we are we're, we're the best, but in terms of we we offer like I said content, we offer marketing, we offer public relations, uh, just advice. We even do Kickstarter stuff as well. We, uh, we've worked something we started up recently is we offer some Kickstarter packages. Uh, they start from fifteen hundred pounds, and but basically the Kickstarter packages we've had two two developers take us up on these so far, and they've both said they've done really well. Both the games were were fully backed. And they were um, basically what they do is we we sit down with developers, we plan how they're going to market their Kickstarter campaign. We look at keywords, key timings they want to get live, how they want to be wording their game, how they want to be approaching social media, when they want to be posting on social media to make sure to get the most traction and most deets on social media. We then go through how they, when they want to be releasing their dev blogs or their content, at what time is best for them. We then will allow them to we share our press press list with them. As in, we don't give them our press list or our, our contact list, but we will then they will send us our dev blog and we will send it out on our end as well. So we're getting more numbers, more, more hits with that. Um, so yeah, so I had to start up recently because we were approached about helping someone out with, with Kickstarter. Um, and the reason what, what makes our Kickstarter packages quite nice are they are a collation of four to six different of us different parts of our services all put together. But we take 20% off the price because they're, they're Kickstarter. Um, so we, we the idea is that it, we, we would love to take more off the price, but we just physically can't. <laughs> so it's, it's a way of going, hey, you put a game on Kickstarter. We get you're doing the, fund, the crowdfunding route because you don't have the funds to get your game there. But if you do want marketing help, then this is what we can do for this amount. This is what we can do for this amount. So, um, so yeah. No, that sounds great. Again, very comprehensive because I have seen – a particular number of years ago, maybe not so much now, but some Kickstarter campaigns that even I was going, oh, geez, what are they doing? That they, <laughs> You can see that yeah. some people don't know, you know, it's like, okay, how just even a marketing campaign, like, there were some that didn't have any updates that didn't keep in contact yeah. at all. Now, I have to say over the last couple of years, from most of the Kickstarters I've seen, they, they all seem to be pretty good, whether they're backed or not, at least. I think people now know that, okay, no, we, we need to keep in contact. We need to prepare for this and we need to treat this like a full-time job. So, but it's great that you're there to, to help them. Yes. No, and, and I said, so, the advice is free. Um, hmm. doesn't mean that we can be on the end of the, <laughs> end of the phone, like every second of the day, but <laughs> if, if you're, if anyone's listening in and they're thinking, do you know what? I'm really tempted to do Kickstarter and they're looking to go down a Kickstarter route in the next, well, whenever, then please just throw us an email because it, it is a commitment. It is a real commitment. And I mm-hmm. ask anyone who's getting, who thinks about doing a crowdfunding route, please do your research on it. And if you need help, reach out because it is a, I have, I, I've worked with people who love Kickstarter and I think it's great. I've worked with other people who wish they never done it for certain reasons. And it, it can be great, but you need to know, you, you need to basically not overcommit. Like so many people undersell their games when they go on to Kickstarter and then they realized the rewards they were given away. They realized that the amount they were asking for all of a sudden isn't even going to touch the sides. And they actually don't make money off Kickstarter. They lose money because 
I've generally worked with, and this was before Neil Medlin when I was freelancing, I worked with a developer who the, the, the project got backed, but they were only asking for, I say they only, they were asking for $25,000, which sounds like a lot, a lot of money. But the rewards that they were giving away, it ended up meaning that their wage for the following 18 months to make the game worked out at $9,000 for, for 18 months because they had to spend the rest of the money on making the rewards and shipping the rewards that they promised on Kickstarter. So it's it's a very, it's a very gray murky area if you're going into it new and i would say either not even us you don't have to come to to, to myself or neil bedlam you go to any marketing agency if you want they may charge for advice i'm saying i will give it for free but or just go to a developer who's used kickstarter don't go into kickstarter blind because it is a p- people can get in trouble with it and i that's the last thing i want to see anyone do because it's not what it's not what kickstarter aims to do they don't want, they want people to get in trouble but the biggest issue is people underselling their product, underselling their game. And they, because they're so desperate to have a completed backing, right? They're so desperate to say, mm-hmm. I want to see 100%. I'm going to ask for $15,000. You have to realistically sit down and go, well, where do I want this game to go? Okay, I want it to go here. What are my sales projections? How much can we sell? How much am I going to aim to, to price it at? Okay, so if I need to charge this much here, that you really need to break it down and be sensible mm-hmm. when you charge it. And if you don't get a full backing, then you don't get a full backing. But what you got to remember what Kickstarter does is it won't cost you money to get on there. It won't cost you, all it will do is cost you time. And for that month, five weeks, you'll get effectively pre free publicity. You're getting free posting on the Kickstarter page and you're getting the chance for people to find your game, you're getting a chance for, even if a small community back your game, if your game doesn't end up getting fully funded, that community will stick with you. They'll follow you on social media. When it ends up coming to full release, you already have a branch of people who you can start marketing to from day one. You can start, they're the people who you can get out there on the ground talking about your game without them knowing it. They're the people who you can get into the previews, into the demos, and then they go to the pub with their friends and say, oh, I played this game here, great. They Google it. Great, now they've wishlisted on Steam. So Kickstarter can be great, even if you're not fully backed. I hope that made sense. Yes, no, absolutely. And even if at first the Kickstarter doesn't succeed, you can try again. I've seen that from yes. several developers that uh, the developers of, or developer, because it's one person, <laughs> it's uh, Lord Winklebottom <laughs> Investigates. She had yeah, yeah. Uh, Kickstarter at first, it wasn't successful at first, but then she said she had made a lot of contacts. Um, they helped her. She did more research for the second Kickstarter, and then it was very successful. You know, not just successful, but it went way past. The, yeah, and, and that's exactly it. Yeah, and even when a Kickstarter is successful, as you mentioned, it doesn't mean that everything is a go. Then, because I spoke with the Coles uh, last year. And they spoke about how their first Kickstarter for Hero U, Rogue to Redemption, was, again, very successful. But then again, they were new to this as well. Kickstarter was relatively new at that time. They did it after Tim Schafer, which, again, Tim Schafer yep. didn't have a plan or anything himself. So yep. it was it was all very new to people. And then they realized, oh, we still need more money. So they put, I think they remortgaged their house or they put their house on the line and they still needed more money. So they went back to Kickstarter a second time and then they were able to get funding for their game. So all of these things, now I think now there'll be so many Kickstarter campaigns, you know, from what I can see, the, all of the ones that I've seen the last year or two do seem to be very well prepared. So that seems to be 
um, that seems to be good at least anyway. So, so yeah, that's great. You do offer these different packages, as you mentioned, uh, for yeah, yeah, we offer events packages. and uh, Kickstarter for people and then social media packages as well, I see. So, yeah, we actually have an active social media package right now that we're running with a, with a developer, but it's just because... Like social media is a scary place. Like there's no denying oh, absolutely. that. Some people, some people hate it. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not, a, I'm not a massive fan of it, but I'm also fully aware of just how important it is and how valuable free marketing is. And we have a current client we're working with at the moment who, yeah, we, we basically take complete control of their social media account. The game isn't releasing until the launch window at the moment is Q2 2021. And until then we will have full access of their social media account. They can still get onto it and, we, we fully approve all content. We would never put an upload up without them doing it. But what we normally do is uh, every month, I'll send over a spreadsheet of dates and comments and say, hey, this is what we're going to put out here roughly, like within reason, obviously stuff might change. And then I ask them to get me screenshots or gifts or something with the game. If you can get this filled out, great. If not, then don't worry. And then we I set it up and there you go. Like So they have active stuff going out there and their account has already grown. Um, we've been doing this now for three months. Their account has, has already gone up 42%, I believe, uh, with wow. with um, followers. And it's also gone up with tw- just over 20% with interactions. So it's, and that's not, again, that's not us doing a great job. It's just showing the importance of social media. If any company ever took, took over it and done that social media approach, they would get those same stats. It's not what we're doing. It's just the fact that we're consistent on social media. And that's the biggest thing with social media. You just need consistency. What we can do is we can do our plans to find out the times for you that, let's say, for example, you are releasing a point-and-click adventure game. We will find out, okay, where's your biggest audience? Great, it's America. Whereabouts in America? Well, this is where you're getting the most click-throughs for, for anything to do with adventure games. Okay, so that's a hot time to pull it out there because we want to pull it out, say, Six o'clock in the evening, Eastern time. That's when it's getting the most traction. Brilliant. And then we'll do two tweets a week at that time. We'll do another tweet at another time to kind of cover the rest of the demographic. And then that way, the bigger audience shouting about the game, retweeting, um, sharing, liking, commenting, will then get the smaller audience into that bigger audience, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as, as it, 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 I think it... <laughs> Uh, it does make sense, but also, like, you know, you mentioned you just need to be consistently on social yeah. media, which, again, can be a job all by itself. Oh, yeah. um, it's, yes, and, it's, yeah. And it is a scary place because, at least when I first started this podcast, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was like, when I go on Twitter, you know what, you know, Twitter can be, can be you know, at first, you know, my idea of Twitter was, oh, it's just a cesspool of hatred and negativity. <laughs> but what I found is, after I've done this podcast, it can be a very positive place and people help each yeah. other. And oh, that's definitely. what I've seen with the gaming community, in particular with the adventure game community, how nice and helpful everyone is to one another. I was like, that that really shocked me about Twitter. Yeah. And it's not just people just complaining and just being horrible to to one another. So, um, yeah, no, but, yeah, but yeah, no, you guys offer that. Now, as we mentioned uh, you, on your websites and you have a comprehensive list of all of your services that you offer, Yep. So I would recommend that people, anyone really, uh, just go through this particular game developer. But I think anybody could um, could go through this and just see what you offer as well. Because I think it is, you know, that you guys are doing something really necessary. And um, also you said, you know, you're free to give free advice. But also I think, you, well, as you mentioned, you also need 
uh, your, your business, but also we hope to keep you guys in business to help other people in business, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, no, no, yeah, no, I, 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 I mean that. But no, it's, um, it's a, check it out. And if any queries, by all means, just fire them our way. There's all the links are on the website for, for contact, the contact form. And um, we don't, we try not to work weekends as much as possible. I, mm. I say that, um, but. We're, we're recording on a weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sit here record a weekend. But when when it's your when you've built it yourself, you can't help but an email mm. comes through to your phone and think, oh, I'll just reply to this now. I always mm-hmm. say I shouldn't because then people will expect you to reply on weekends. Sure. Like time. But um, but no, I yeah, so but no, like I said, any questions, whether it be about gaming, whether it be about marketing, whether it be about anything, Kickstarter, by all means, throw us an email, uh, we'll get back to you. And we do not charge for advice. Cool. Now, hopefully as well, if people want your services to help them, you do offer that as well. So Yes. Yeah. No, um, yeah. And yeah, now one of the games, and hope it's okay to to mention, I should ask you before, but you have on your website as well that you're working with several games, yep. which you mentioned as well, 903 Media, and you're also working uh, with the developers and publishers of the game Rainswept. Is that correct? Are you able to yes. mention that? Yes, we are. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're working with Armin. <laughs> who uh, mm. is Frostwood Interactive. And two awesome studios are the guys who are working with publishing. I had some general questions, and I was thinking of using Rainswept as a reference to it, what yeah. I think it does well, because I played that game last year when it came out, and I loved it. Yeah, no, it's um, great, isn't it? It's, so, it's great. Mm. It was actually myself that reached out to Armin. Um, I met him at EGX Res last year, and I went up to him, and he's a lovely guy. And mm. I had a um, I had a chat with him and, and just basically said thank you because I feel like that doesn't get said enough yes. to, to devs. And I went up to him and just said, um, yeah, a, a big thanks for the game. I really enjoyed it. It really hit home. It was it, it, it took me by surprise and it was just a really nice game. And I don't want to give any away about the game because I recommend people go and play Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, and Armin actually was on on Twitter this week. He was he's like I said he's such a lovely guy, but he was on Twitter this week. And he gave away a hundred keys for the game. For I saw that. In isolation. That's, yeah. So he's, that was incredible. Um, yeah, he's a really nice guy, and he's working on uh, his second game is actually in the works now. And working title is is something about a sunny day, a sunshine day. We're not actually working on them, so people are thinking, "Wow, this guy doesn't even know what game he's working on." Well, I, <laughs> it's, it's no confirmation that I'm working with Armin on his next game. Which is rain sweat is what we're working with, and um, but he's. It's very much based around similar to Rain Sweat, but he's this is his first game diving into the world of 3D. Uh, so he's, I believe he's using, using Unity and he's working in 3D and it still carries that very chilled, relaxed vibe. Despite there being mature uh, elements or story notes to the game, it kind of carries, it still carries that relaxed vibe to the game. Uh, but yeah, no, Rain Sweat, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, no, absolutely. And it, like you mentioned, it took me completely by surprise as well, in a good way, because I I saw it like I, I love detective games as well. And, you know, I love the look of it as well. And then I got it. And then I was completely sucked up by it, by the story and yeah. by the characters. And now I reviewed it as well. And I think in an episode last year, one of the early episodes, and it's, it, it took me so much by surprise because I was nearly or literally crying for, for good reasons you know yeah, yeah, yeah. intentionally again i don't want to give anything away but again with the characters and with the story and the writing and i was actually nearly screaming at the screen like don't do that don't go there come on get get up get up and yeah, was, yeah 
and again, it just comp- took me by surprise. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm delighted as well that a game like this exists. But um, no, because he also wrote last year, he, I believe for Reddit, he went into detail about his own situation because he also must have had questions about is it possible to do this as a living? Yep. But now he, he went into his own situation that, you know, he's living on his own or I think he was living with his parents at the time. or And he went into great detail about how much it sold, and which I didn't expect him to do. Yeah, but, no, he's, he's a, like I say, he's a very, very nice guy. Yeah. yeah. And, well, I, I suppose, you know, because he was also talking about, you know, trying to get PR attention and trying to get the game to stand out as well. So I suppose that can lead me on to the first question that I have for general questions that at least developers, or I've seen developers ask myself and each other, is, and you said you had some words as well, is to, for example, now for a game to stand out, for, you know, particularly for an indie game, if it's on Steam, uh, is there any general things that you can say? Because as I said, I, I know that uh, we don't want to take advantage of you. No, no, there... no. I'm, I'm happy to dive into information here. Sure, again, is there any general advice that you can give on this podcast on how yeah. different things developers can do or one or two things they can do to help their game stand out? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. That's the first thing it's we get the, asked. It's a million-dollar question. That is it, yeah. How do we get our game to stand out? Like I said, roughly 40 games a week dropping on Steam. Mm-hmm. How do you get your game to stand out? And let's be honest, like, I'm the... What I've planned to talk about and the comparison I've planned to, to go through now, I've based on uh, Adventure Game, for being an Adventure Game mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to shout out um, the, the the console community because the console community is great, but classic Adventure Games very much stem from PC. And mm-hmm. I, I would argue the biggest audience for classic Adventure Games is on the PC. Uh, don't get me wrong, console players will still, will still play the games. Um, but straight away, again, we go back to something like Disco Elysium. Uh, I, I don't think that will sell anywhere near as many copies on a console as it will on a PC. And it's cleared a million copies now, which for a game like that, an indie game like that now, is is, is crazy good. Um, so how do you get your game to stand out? It, it, it stems down... I'm going to focus on three key routes here for people. So I want to try and keep it as simple as possible without me trying to go off into marketing jargon and people will be like, what on earth is this guy talking about? So I'm going to keep it nice and simple. And getting your game stand out, route one, part one, comes from the build-up phase. You need to start building hype around your game. And it's not a case of you're getting like you're going completely all out on the hype day one. Like it's not a case of okay, yeah, like I'm ready to announce game now. I'm ready to let the world know I'm working on this game. Here's everything. That that's not the case. It is a case of you plant that very small seed. And you aim for just one person to be interested by your game. That is it. It sounds like nothing, I know, but you want just one person to be interested in your game. And that build-up phase normally starts, as I said earlier, but around about 14, about 12 to 14 months before your planned release. Where you you have content here, you have maybe screenshots, you maybe have very small little video snippets of gameplay. But this is where social media is so important. You put it out there, hey, we're working on this game. And just once a week, all you need is people used to do, people still do dev blogs, but you don't have to do an in-depth dev blog, just a Twitter post. The same post can go on Twitter and it can go on Facebook. If you want to stick on Instagram, you can stick on Instagram. And the joy of, of modern technology is you can set up the whole month of tweets and Facebook posts 
on the beginning of the month and you haven't got to touch it again. It will take you an hour to set it up. And that is it. it, it a schedule released is going to go out. No matter what, it's going out and people are going to interact with it. And that's the build-up phase. You want to get your word out there. And that's where it starts. If you have the budget, that's when you want to start thinking about talking to a PR company because you want a press release going out there. You want the announcement of the game. You want a press release going to the press outlet saying, hey, this game has been announced. Here's what it is. If you can get a trailer, then brilliant. If, you could, if you've got the means to make a trailer yourself, then great. Get your trailer done yourself. If not, there are plenty of companies that can, can charge for a trailer or can make a trailer. Uh, pricing of a trailer is very subjective because it's very skill-based. We charge £100 per 30-second of trailer. Um, but then we offer full custom motion graphics, uh, full visual effects on our trailers. Um, some companies do offer cheaper, but they won't do custom motion graphics. Uh, other companies offer more. We know there are a company I know of charge two and a half thousand pounds for a trailer. But I also know that they're exceptionally good trailers. So get a trailer put together and then you want that announcement to be tight. And that's your kind of build up phase. Your press release out there or social media is active. People know about the game. There's a trailer out there. Maybe some small YouTube channel with 50 viewers on it or sorry 50 subs on it has put a video out about your game it doesn't matter that's that's amazing because you planted that seed and if you're consistently posting on social media that seed will start to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then you're kind of going into your your main your like main development phase and this is where you want to the games out there you want to keep building the traction uh but you don't want to be burning yourself out right you don't want to be going here's all the content the main thing from this phase is show appearances. Now, again, I know the means here isn't for everybody, but I would recommend there are some great shows in the UK. You have EGX and EGX Res. If you want to get to those shows, um, if people were wondering how much they cost, um, a, a, a single computer spot at that show with rental of hardware will cost you around about £300 for the weekend. And that will get you two passes into the show. You can pay up to £1,500 if you want to do more, if you want more slots and all things like that. But you're looking at basis. I would say you'd aim around about £500, £500, £600 for the weekend, including accommodation and some of that. But then the joy of that is you're getting your game in the hands of people, right? And that that's building up there. So you've got your, your main, you're your like plant the seed phase, your, your, your build up phase. Then you've got your kind of building traction phase, you can continue in the phase. And your final phase is going into your launch. And this is where you really need to be hitting all, all cylinders firing, firing, basically. You need to be not burning yourself out. If you're a one dev team, then do not burn yourselves out. But you want to be upping your posts just two a week. Some people feel like they have to post on Twitter every single day. It's absolute nonsense. You don't need to post on Twitter every single day because your people will see you and go, oh, they're posting again. Just I'll skip past that, whatever. People who are excited by you, the less they see you, the more they want to read you. And that's a key thing to remember. So just two a week. That's when you're starting to get your preview builds out, if, if it's possible. Again, you can build up a, a, a press release, a press list yourself. And if people are wondering how you build press lists yourself, when you go to these events, take an iPad with you. If you, you, you every dev, if you don't own an iPad or a tablet, you will know someone whether it be friend or family, who will own one. And just borrow it off them for the weekend and you can create a template so it is on the, the, the screen. So anytime someone plays your game, I'm going to keep up to date, here you go. All they've got to do is they type in their first name and they type in their email. You've got your own contact list. You can literally now, you have people to instantly contact about your game. That's what a PR company is going to offer. Yes, your contact list won't be as big, 
but you still have your own means to get your game out there. Whether it be you want to handle some key release yourself, um, you have that means to do it. And then obviously going into the release, you have um, you you want to be getting some form of reviews out there. I would recommend, again, I know I'm saying this coming from a marketing PR company. If it's your first game, I would recommend a company handling your your preview review keys because what they can offer that you, I mean, you can offer it, but where this really differs is time. Your time is going to be need to be used on making sure that game is absolutely tip top shape for release and post release, right? Because bugs happen in games. They, they, they come about what you don't find in your builds. Someone else can quite easily find because they do something different. So your time is needed on the game. And the, what a, a PR company can offer when it comes to handling review keys is one, they have a bigger list. Two, they will chase up content. And three, uh, a good PR company will collate all the data and content created around your game. And I'll put it in a nice little package for you and they'll send it back and say, hey, these are all the websites that covered your game. These are scores I gave them. These are where they wrote them. Here's links to stuff. And then you've got that information to do what you want with. You can go and approach them and say, great, thank you very much for this. Do you mind if I use this quote in a video for an accolade video or, or anything like that? So that's the three stages. Um, I kind of rushed for it and I don't, I apologize. No, that's great it. advice. No, that's... I, I, could, I could sit here and talk about these. I, I could talk about those three stages all day long. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think it's great that you're, as, as you mentioned, you're planting the seed now too. Well, that's uh, it. And, and that's what it is. This is, and, this is general advice. And, and consistency is, mm -hmm. of anything here, quality of content is, is important. Don't get me wrong. But what beats quality of content, what beats you having a, a fully rendered, amazing short clip of your of your game, what, what beats you about is, is consistency. If you have no content to put up one week, it doesn't matter. What you can do is, you can just go, do you know what? People love seeing content art. Wait a minute, there's, I've got a pad somewhere where I drew down some weird wonky face to the main protagonist. Brilliant, I'll take a picture of that and I'll put that up. Like anything is good and consistency is the biggest quality you need when you're doing this and everyone has access to social media. So mm -hmm. it is straight up free marketing that so many games that release and I go, what? How have I never heard this game? And this is someone who, from where I used to write a blog, I still have access to all those press releases. So I still get press releases. I probably get around about 20 press releases a day. And there are games that release. And I'm like, I didn't even hear about this game. And it looks great. And mm. it's because they haven't approached a, a PR company or they haven't built out the seed themselves. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the bigger picture, how you would get your game to stand out by planting the seed. Uh, what I also want to talk about is actually just your, your marketing of your game. And something that is so important of this is how do you sell your own game i know discolisium worked with a company called dead good media and they are sorry dead good pr and they are a great pr company and this is them all over so the opening paragraph you get for discolisium is discolisium uh, sorry missed out the first one because it's multi-award winning that that was put in recently but before that um before the, they won the awards it says uh you're a detective with a unique skill system at your disposal and a whole city block to carve your path across. Interrogate unfortunate characters, crack murders or take bribes. Become a hero uh, or an absolute disaster of a human race. Disco Elysium is a 2D adventure game. It didn't use that word once. Disco Elysium solves puzzles. It didn't once say it solves puzzles. 
Disco Elysium is kind of a post-apocalyptic, post-desolate um, kind of land. It doesn't really say that it's a desolate land. And it does that because it does it in clever ways. It says you're going to crack murders. Well, crack murders, that's a puzzle in its own right, okay? Take bribes. So wait a minute, I can crack murders and take bribes. There's choice making. Cool, it's an RPG. Become a hero, become a disaster. Cool, I, there you go. I can make friends. I can make villains. And I have a, a whole city block to cover it. So I, I know that it's not a huge open world to go through. A detective, I know I'm a detective. Stat, how you sell your game. And you need to really, when you're selling your game, you need to write down, and I'd honestly say you probably want at least 50 to 60 different spills, blurbs about your game. And you change them. And then this is where synonyms, synonyms come in so great because you... You just play around with it. Like I said, the Disco Elysium one, it doesn't once say, doesn't use words that it's a 2D isometric adventure game. It doesn't say that it's got puzzles to solve. It doesn't say that, but it's intriguing. And what it sells it as is a, wait, I want to play this. I want to play as a detective who can be a, a disaster human being. I, I want to solve murders. That's great. Do you want to play in a game in the distant future where you solve puzzles and meet and make friends? Like that could be Animal Crossing. That could be Stardew Valley. Did, 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 does that make sense? Is what I'm trying to say there. Um, it's how you sell your game. How does your game stand out? You, you, you joked about before about Monkey Island. Everyone mm -hmm. refers to Monkey Island. A 2D isometric. Well, I know Monkey Island isn't isometric, but a 2D mm -hmm. adventure game set in a distant future. Explore post-apocalyptic landscape, solve puzzles, meet new friends, make powerful enemies. Like all that could be a Monkey Island game. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's it's that kind of stuff. That I mean, like it is a case of but. Don't feel like you have to be super unique, but just be clever with your words. And it's very much people who are clicking on these games are clicking through a lot of games, right? And then when they click on Disco Elysium, the first thing is they read this blurb and they go, that's really cool. Okay, cool. I'll wishlist that. Developers will aim for 10% of wishlists to turn into purchases. And that's how they'll work out pre-orders. That's why they want people to, to wishlist. That's why marketing companies want people to wishlist. I can say, hey, look, you've got, 100,000 wish lists, that should be 10,000 purchases on day one. Um, like I said, I know for a fact that Disco Elysium has broken a million sales um, since its release, and it's huge. And that's because the way they presented the game. So, yeah, that's hopefully that gave some help to people. But that's something as simple as rewording or, or how you sell your game. And that starts with planting the seed. That starts with the whole, how, how are you selling your game at the beginning? And I know for a fact that people don't want to oversell themselves. It's the same, like, you never want to say, I'm great at doing this. I get that. But you have to go, my, you have to in your head think, what is my game offering that no other adventure game is offering? If you're saying, my game's got inventory management, throw it out there. Take that out of your, your, your blub. It doesn't need to be in there. If you're saying that you can, you can make alliances in your game, take it out there. You don't need it in there. If you're saying that you could craft in your game, take it out there. You don't need it in there. Find other ways of putting that in there, okay? Find other ways of how you would put in inventory management, how you'd put in crafting, how you'd put in make alliances. Word it differently and make and have fun with it because that is what's going to get people excited. That's what's going to whet the appetite when they read it and go, oh, that sounds great. Wish this that straight away. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's amazing points, actually, you know, how to, you know, really get the word out there and using wording 
is important, as you mentioned, that Disco Elysium does it so, so well yeah. that immediately you can go, oh, this game interests me, and then you know exactly what game it is, as you mentioned when he said you're effectively a unique skill system and become a hero or an absolute disaster of a human being. Yeah. And already you can tell, oh, maybe this has some humor as well. Maybe there's, yeah. uh, this looks unique. And that's kind of what, I was, uh, what I've been saying as well, because to my next point, and I know I, we spoke a little bit about this before recording, but so many adventure, I mean, a lot of adventure games nowadays rely on nostalgia. <laughs> That yep, they rely yep. on you knowing about the older games. And yes, many of the LucasArts and Sierra games were great and mm-hmm. particular for your time. And I loved them as well. And in particular, Monkey Island. It's as I said it before <laughs> we recorded, it seems to be the most inspired or overused game in the descriptions of all time. Because every second or third adventure game that I see, it is there has different ways of saying it. So this is like Monkey Island. This yep. is the next Monkey Island. Do you like Monkey Island? You love this game. And it has gotten to the stage. Now, you can change, you know, and I don't mind if games are inspired by other games because a lot of games have different inspirations. Um, yeah. You know, so that's not my issue at all. But my issue is when other games try to copy other games because then that makes me want to play the other game. So if a game... Yep is trying to copy or imitate Monkey Island or be the next Monkey Island, chances are it's not going to be, and that will just make me want to go play Monkey Island. And I've reached a stage where if developers mention Monkey Island and say, oh, this is like Monkey Island, or if you like Monkey Island, you like this, I, I might not be fair, but I'm like, no, sorry, I'm just not interested anymore. I go through some, through so many other games out there. But what is your personal opinion about that, about using nostalgia? And do, do you think that maybe developers should use games say that this game is inspired by monkey island or broken sword or whatever game as well or do you think that like this school because this school doesn't mention any other game it just says exactly what it is so So i'm okay so jump straight to the point personally and i know a lot of other marketing people will say the same i'm very much against using referring referring to other games as your game or saying your game is like this game now i get i know why people do it everyone knows why people do it because when you're releasing uh an adventure game no one knows your adventure game no one's heard of of travel i don't know traveling through time that's a name to come top of my head no one's heard of traveling through time but everyone's heard of monkey island everyone's heard of full throttle everyone's heard mm. of grim fandango like so oh yeah uh travel through time it's uh, an adventure game set in space, but uh, the, the, the travel of time is like Grim Fandango in space. Like, okay, great. So it's a point of click adventure in space. That's all you need to say. You like, you don't need to sell yourself as Grim Fandango. That comes down to again a part of like confidence. Now there isn't wrong with sometimes in press releases when I put out there. I'm working with a game at the moment called uh, Hollow Fist by Edgehog, and it's a creature battler. Now. The easy way to sell that game, if I was to, to give an elevator pitch about that game, is it's uh, a little bit like Pokemon, but with an adult sense of humour, with um, a kind of Rick and Morty style art style and uh, a kind of IT crowd humour to it. So that's like the elevator pitch. Now, I'm not going to say that in a, a press release and they're not going to use that there, but we are I'm working with the developers and in the initial press release that did go out about the game, it did mention um, Pokemon in there because they they 
said, no, do you want, I, I, I want Pokemon in there. And I'm not going to completely disagree with that. Fine, they want it in there, they want it in there. And, but it's not going to make a difference. People see small creatures on the screen, and they go, oh, it's Pokemon. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't make a difference. You don't need to say it in there. And, and I would say to any developer, have faith to not refer to other games. And trust your visual representation of the game. Uh, now, I know that this game was made by the initial developer or creators of Monkey Island, uh, but Thimbleweed Park, for example. Yes, we, we talked about it, actually, just in the yeah. recent episode. Oh, okay, so yeah, so Thimbleweed, uh, Thimbleweed Park, great. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that game. But clicking on Steam, going through the screenshots alone, I could go, oh, this is like, just, this is like Monkey Island. Like, I don't need to be told mm-hmm. the words monkey island to see that and people will make up their own mind for it and yeah so personally like i actually listened to something really um uh it was a uh like um a ted talk a, a little while back and it was basically saying it was based in, in video games and it was saying that that every game is nostalgic because every mechanic's been done now and it's just being repeated or built upon so there are no new mechanics to do you're just taking something that someone else has created and slightly manipulating it, which is an element of nostalgia, which I kind of, I found an interesting point to look at. So like nostalgia comes in very different forms. For example, I never played, I wasn't a big fan, not a fan. I never played Monkey Island or the classic um, LucasArts games, not because I didn't want to, I just didn't have the means to when I was younger. So I played Fimbleweed Park and was like, this is a great game. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. anything like Monkey Island because I never played it. I just I just like Fimbleweed Park as the game that it is. Whereas I play an RP, an, a, a JRPG or, or an indie RPG and I'll go, oh, this is like Final Fantasy because there will be one menu system laid out like Final Fantasy. And that's how I found my nostalgia. So nostalgia is a hard one because everyone will find it differently in a game. So without kind of beating on loads more i would say yeah try try to stay away from referring to your game as another game because all you're doing is you're taking the eyes away from your game and you're putting them onto another game even if that's a game's massive even if you go hey i've I've made a a tonka truck football game it's like rocket league but you play a tonka trucks like that doesn't need to be said like people can see the gameplay and the screenshots and the trailer and go oh this is like rocket league like let them make their mind up because if you say this game's like monkey island and that player didn't like monkey island they're gonna go well, i don't like your game like you've already put them off your game whereas if you show your gameplay and you refer to maybe go and look at monkey island's blurb spiel and go do you know what? i'm gonna steal some stuff from that blurb that spiel that's fine or see what people have written about monkey island and, and steal that language that's fine but if someone watches it and they might go, oh, this is like, I don't know, another Grim Fandango. Maybe they prefer Grim Fandango or they prefer um, the Indiana Jones one. I can't remember what it's called now. The Quest for At- Atlantis? Uh, Fate of Atlantis. Fate of Atlantis. Yes. Um, so maybe they go, oh, this is like Indiana Jones, Fate of Atlantis. It might be nothing like that game. But in their mind, if they see a 2D point and click adventure that looks, like, looks classic inspired, and that's the only classic inspired 2D point adventure game they played and they enjoyed it, then you've hit, hit home with them. So yeah, try not to, to fall into the trap. And I know why people do it, but try not to fall into the trap of saying, my game is like this game, is the best advice I can give. Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree because I know why people do it. It is for marketing purposes mainly as well, or to try to get people who like those games. But also I think it 
as you mentioned as well, it might limit people because if they don't like Monkey Island or if they've never heard of Monkey Island, yep. it might mean anything to them or it might turn them off. So people can see if they see screenshots or if they see um, a trailer or play a demo. But also the adventure games released in the last couple of years, at least my favorites, which are Unavowed, Lamplight City, uh, Oprah Din. Uh, one of the things that they have in common is that they're all, you know, they're, they're inspired by other games and other, yeah. you know, stories, but they're all unique as well. They have their own identity. And that's kind of what personally I prefer with, with adventure games is if they try and have their own identity, like you said, rather than trying to be like other games and stuff. And I know not always possible, maybe that's more difficult than that as well. Um, but then for for adventure games or for narrative games, I think there's so much potential because they're, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's like it, it is a niche genre. But for example, for narrative games, there are so many people who watch Netflix or watch TV series or read books. And yeah. I think those people theoretically could play at least narrative games. So uh, I suppose one of my last questions, I know I've been keeping you here a while. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, oh, sorry, thank you very much. Quickly, yes. I know you mentioned Unavowed. I, yes. I, I, I loved Unavowed. And I actually, um, I was freelancing at the time and I worked with the PR company who are working on oh, uh, wow. budget. <laughs> so I was involved with some of the, 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 the PR marketing for Unavowed. And they were very much against saying it's like this other game. Uh, they, they stood on it, stood on its own. And they didn't ever come out and say, it's like this game. It's like this I'm- game. They were so, right, I think. <laughs> so, and it stood on its own. And you look at the visual straight away and you can go, oh, this looks like a classic LucasArts game. Like, it mm-hmm. just straight up looks like a classic LucasArts game. But it's that thing again. Let people make their own mind up about what it reminds them of. Just tell them what the game is. Sell the game to them in that five, six sentences of just, bang, this is what the game is. You want to play it because of this reason. Go. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Because then once you get into the game, you see that, oh, it looks like a Bioware game, like, you know, Mass Effect, you choose different characters, but an adventure game. But nowhere does it say this is like a Bioware game or this is like Mass Effect as an adventure game. And also when I spoke with Dave Gilbert as well, and he said one of his inspirations was the Dresden Files, the books as well. But again, nowhere does it mention, oh, this is like the Dresden Files. If you like the Dresden Files, you like this game. It stands on, on its own. Yeah. And well, my question then is because mentioning the Dresden Files and Netflix and all, do you know? Uh, I mean, this might be another million or billion dollar question, but <laughs> how how do you have any ideas how to get casual gamers or people who like Netflix, who like reading books, to maybe play in this case a narrative game or a game like Unavowed? Because I think that people who read books, people who watch TV series or good cinema, which is nearly everybody would probably enjoy this game. So do you have any ideas <laughs> how it possibly could be to get these people to, first of all, find out about the game and play the game? Do you have any ideas at all? Because I, I don't know. I've, there is, I've okay, there's, my, my brain. There's, there's, there's one route, and this isn't available for everyone, but there is one route, um, which isn't guaranteed to work, but the one route is... Um, throw your game on a subscription service, basically. So um, my perfect example of that is Rocket League now is Mm -hmm. massive. The game was available at launch on PlayStation Plus for free. Everyone could download that game for free straight away. It's part of the reason why the game became so big. Also, IGN 
uh, adventure game of the year last year was the Outer Wilds. Sorry, Outer Wilds, not the Outer Wilds. Yes. Outer Wilds. Now, the only reason, and uh, people might disagree with me here, w- one of the only reasons that that game picked that award up from IGN is because it was on Xbox Game Pass at day one. You could play it on PC or Xbox day one. So it meant that when IGN are talking about this little indie game, they had a community coming back and saying, oh, yeah, it's great. I just played it because I can play it for free. It's not free. They're paying a subscription service and, and that. But people had access to it. They didn't have to drop the £15 to then go and play that game and go, oh, I, I, I'm not too sure about it. So instantly people are a lot more happy with it. But that is, again, like a small drop in the ocean, right? You, the chance that your game is going to hit well mm. on a subscription service is not the easiest way. Is there a way to get casual gamers in? I, the short answer is no. And I hate to say that sounds doom and gloomy. Oh, okay. We, um, yeah, well, because so my like uh, my colleague and I often joke that so I, the casual gamer, we always say the casual gamer will only buy one game a year because they're always going to buy Call of Duty and they're always going to buy FIFA. Um, yeah. And we will say they'll buy one other game a year and that will be Cyberpunk 27.7. That will be uh, another big release at some point. That will, that will they'll see on TV and go, oh, that game was cool. Now, what is great is you're starting to get these smaller indie titles uh, get into shops, especially on console. You, you, I, I was in game uh, before the whole lockdown happened. And in game, I, I saw um, so many games that I'd covered when I was writing a blog or so many games I'd worked freelance on. So like Cat Quest 1 and 2. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a I could buy a physical box with this game in it. Like, And that's great. That's great to see that these smaller games are there and 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 general public, your like you said, your casual Netflix watchers are are seeing these games. Um, what you can do is, and this will cost money, but this is the only other bit of advice I can do. And I actually ran uh, an experiment with this very recently for a game that uh, it was actually for Holofist, the game that I mentioned earlier. Was we ran some Reddit ad uh, Reddit ads. Now I've ran ads on all platforms if people want advice on what platform is best for ads that's i won't get into it this podcast because that goes on for ages but i've i've tried um facebook ads i've tried twitter ads i've tried uh quora ads i've tried reddit ads and reddit ads are to my opinion they're the best the best service for ads um now what you do is you set up subreddits you then bid on spaces i won't kind of go into full details because it's a bit businessy and jargony and boring but what I done for them was like I said, it's Rick and Morty is their kind of is, is their art style. The gameplay is Pokemon, if going layman's terms or elevator pitch. Um and so I naturally I went through subreddits of of uh, Pokemon, of Rick and Morty, but then I went on to other other things like Ren and Stimpy fan subreddits, like things like that. I put all these subreddits in there of these different cartoon fan like cartoons, um Lost in, uh, Lost Space which is a Netflix series out at the moment, which is another cartoon series. I went I, I, I put that subreddit down, all these subreddits. And then this game that has that similar art style is now appealing to those, those non-gamers, those, well, maybe they are gamers, but they're not, they're, they're, they're in the subreddit of a TV series, not a subreddit of a game series. And that's where it's being seen. I know um, a company, um, Mike, uh, I'm trying to think now, Mike, Mike, Mike Ross, um, who is No More Robots. Um, I don't know if you know, know the company. Yes, Pop- yes. Yeah, yeah, so he uh, he put a big a big thread up recently about his experience with Reddit ads um, for Yes, Your Grace. 
And he went through the fact that how successful the Reddit ads were and how much uh, click-through rate they had was really good. Worked out around like 15%. And that, uh, and they put it on subreddits like Game of Thrones discussions, um, like Vikings, like because it has that art style. It has that, if you've got a good art, if you've got good key art, but showing your game off, and it goes as an ad on those subreddits. People are going to click on them. And that's probably the closest I can suggest or recommend to getting your game into more casual market to get a wider audience is through something like Reddit ads. You can you can use Facebook ads. You can use Twitter ads. They're a little bit more trickier. I feel like Reddit's better because the whole community on Reddit is a lot more niche based on the subreddits. Um, and yeah, but if you are thinking about going down the ad route, again, I recommend speaking to someone because people, agencies and companies, chances are like we've run or personally I've run, I can't remember how many ad campaigns. So I, I know what to do, what not to do, all sort of that first time you make lots of mistakes. And it's when you go down an ad route, you're looking at actual hard cash you need to separate with, um, to, to put a figure on it. With the Holofist one, um, I think we parted with around about £650. So that kind of shows you, and that's not a big campaign. That is a small campaign. However, they did end up getting uh, a substantial amount of wish lists on their game through that ads. So it's, it's yeah, it, it's a whole kind of thing. The bigger the budget, obviously, the more eyes are going to see it, but you need to play into your means. But that's probably, I don't know if, it's, I don't know if that's a cheating answer, but that's probably the best answer I can give of, how do you get into that more casual Netflix audience? Yeah, no, again, that's great because I've I also saw some suggestions back mainly before Steam and GOG when games were more physical releases. Yep. That someone on a forum on Adventure Gamer suggested getting your game, maybe trying to get that in a bookshop, you know, <laughs> alongside a book. So, for example, Unavowed now maybe have that alongside the Dresden files, you know, saying, yep. I know he said you shouldn't say this is like such and such, but in this case, so if you like reading the Dresden files, you can play on a vow and get them there that way. But I don't know how, if that would work now. If well, there's, um, there's, there's clever ways of doing like um, a game I'm currently working with, um, which is Trials of Fire, which is a deck building game is another game I'm we're actively working with. Uh, for their launch campaign, again, they're aiming, well, they were aiming to launch in June. That might be pushed back to July now, obviously, depending on current world situations. But um, the game is very much set out like a tabletop adventure game, um, but with cards and it's digital. So the launch campaign is we're kind of running a D&D like social media campaign, like a D&D event and giving away some goodies alongside it. And that way, it's a kind of way of going your casual. All of a sudden, we're tapping into the D&D market. Of, um, of of Twitter and Facebook. And that D&D demographic, some of them obviously who will be gamers as well, will have Steam and will have access to a PC and, and will want to play the game. And that's like running your own marketing campaign, social media marketing campaigns can be great for doing this. Um, like Ooblets, which is another creature collecting game, uh, releasing hopefully later this year because I really want to play it. It's... Um, they do lots of like fan art competitions and effectively they're getting their community to create their content for them to put on Twitter and Facebook. But people are so invested in that art style and what the game's doing, that that's what, that, that's what they're doing. So it's a, a social media campaign can tap into that casual audience as well. Like you said, 
with that's remind me because unavowed being um inspired by the by the books you can have you could even have like leading up to the launch of the game this is just trying to spitball here if your game is based around a kind of uh, a book or is like more dnd based or is law based then what you can do is get on to something like InDesign, make up like 10 nice looking law file scrolls whatever you want to call it each with a paragraph on explaining some law of the game and then leading up for launch you tweet out that out every day and all of a sudden people who are like reading these books might stumble across that that pr media and go this is really cool this guy's campaign's awesome like I'm really liking the law. It's, it's, I want to know more about that character. How do I find more about that character? Oh, I've got to play this game. Well, if this is what the writing is in this and it's in the game, yeah, I'm going to play the game. So there are ways of doing it like that, if that, hopefully, again, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we could go on a long time about this, yes, but this, yeah, yeah. this is, uh, you know, so, um, but even Netflix last year, they started, uh, you know, dabbling with kind of games like with Black Mirror. I yeah, uh, yeah, forget the name yeah. of it, which, and again, you could really discuss, you know, how successful they really were and that, yeah. with, with that, but that's a whole other discussion, I think. But the, the last question, I suppose, that I had then is this year in particular, we mentioned a few times this pandemic that uh, hopefully time recording will be getting better, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, but now I know that we mentioned events as well. You mentioned EGX Res and EGX and PAX. And because of this pandemic, EGX Res has been postponed. We'll see mm-hmm. what happens then, if it does go ahead in July or not. And we'll see yeah. as well as it, later on with Gamescom and AdventureX and all this. Hopefully they will go ahead. But again, we just have to wait and see how this pandemic goes. If these events are in the end cancelled, like Game Developers Conference was and all, and I know a lot of indie developers rely on these to make contacts and to get their game out there, is there anything else that maybe you suggest that they can do to keep focus on their games? Maybe or anything that maybe can they all get together to have like a virtual conference or something? Is there anything else you could advise for indie developers who are hoping to go to some of these events but now can't because of the pandemic? Yeah, uh, that's a that's, great, great way to end on. I know. Yeah, pandemic, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> that's that's a really that's a really good question actually. Um, so that's. Hopefully, so answering short, hopefully the, the the events do still go ahead, but obviously everything's up in the air right now. Um, in terms of what people can do, it, it's the best thing I can say. So one of the biggest questions I'm getting at the moment is I've already had two developers approach me and they want to bring the release of their game forward by a month because they want to release the game now because the way they see it is everyone's at home. Steam has already announced that. That is true. <laughs> on average, Lee, on average, it's got 20 million concurrent players online every day. So the traffic on Steam is the highest it's ever been. So people are like, "Well, I want to get our game out now." Like, and and there is an argument to say that yeah, getting a game out now maybe it might be beneficial. Maybe people were. But then there's the flip side of it where there's a lot of people being made unemployed and there's lots of money's all in the air at the moment. So people are they going to separate themselves with? 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 quid for a game that they've not heard of. Maybe not. So there's that double side sword there. But in terms of going back to your actual original question of what they can do, what I would suggest is if you have a game coming out, if you planned release coming out uh, June, July, August, September, October time, and you're you're worried that you people aren't going to get their hands on your game, is I would 
if you don't have the means to go to a PR agency or a marketing agency and use their outreach to get the hands the game in people's hands, is go to a YouTube uh, personality or a Twitch personality that you know has a community built around your game. Now, it doesn't matter how big that game is or that how that, that person is. Obviously, if they've got 50 subs, the chances are you're not going to be, you might be affecting two or three people by buying your game. So when I say it doesn't matter how big they are, what I mean is they have to have some influence about them, but you're not talking, you don't have to go and find PewDiePie or you haven't got to go and find Syndicate or anything like that. You can just go find someone who you like and, and you know that they've got a respectable presence in your audience and approach them and say, hey, look, could you like, I was hoping to get these people to play my game at the event. If I send you over a copy of my game, please can you play it and just talk about it on, on, on YouTube or, or do a video about it? And chances are they will because they, they want to play your game. They appreciate the fact they're getting a key for free. And then they do a video on it. And all of a sudden, this niche audience that's built around adventure games or whatever game genre you may be from, I'm assuming it's adventure games because it's an adventure game podcast. And those people are now going, oh, that game looks cool. And they will then connect with that person directly. If they're a Twitch streamer, chances are they have a Discord, their own Discord. And people might be in there going, wow, like that game was really cool. What was it called? Oh, I was called this. Here's the wish list. Here's the Steam page for it. Brilliant. I'm going to go wish list it now. So that is, if you want to do your own marketing on it and and get word out there and you're worried that people aren't going to get the, the game in your hands, you can also do stuff like get a streamer to, to play your game. You don't want to be aiming someone who's going to be getting a minimum of 50 views on their stream. Um, some streamers will ask for money. Uh, I, I won't go into costings now, but again, if anyone wants, if, if anyone feels like a streamer is asking for too much money, just again, reach out to myself. I know exactly how much streamers charge for sponsored streams. So I can let you know if you're being ripped off of that, giving you a good price because streamers will try their luck. Trust me on that one. <laughs> so, and you can go to them and say, do you know what? I'm going to give you five keys well that you can give away. Now that giving away to that community all of a sudden is that's getting the game in people's hands, which is what the event was aiming to do. Yes, it's cost you five keys where at the event it didn't cost you any keys. But then the idea is if they're from that niche diehard adventure game community, then maybe they'll get on a Discord and say, yeah, this game's great. And all of a sudden, that one key might turn into free purchases. So that one stream, maybe you've got 15 purchases just off the keys you gave away, as well as maybe another 10 purchases based off the stream. Now, 25 purchases isn't tons, but five keys at cost price, coming back to 25 purchases, you've made profit on that. And that's a way of starting to try and build your, obviously, the bigger numbers you work on. If you've got a stream that's bringing in 2,000 viewers, the, you're going to have to pay them because just the way sponsor streams work. Um, but then you're going to bring, bring, bring in bigger numbers. That's the only, off the top of my head, is reaching out to YouTube or Twitch or even Mixer influencers who are very much, not anyone, not variety streamers, not variety content creators, people who are in your community, who are etched in to what you're doing because you know who's watching their, get their, them will be into it as well and that's the only thing off the top of my head i can think about trying to get your game out there for as little marketing cost as possible like you would when you're going to these events but hopefully the events do go ahead yeah hopefully i mean we'll see how it happens at the time recording maybe when this episode goes out it will uh you know will be announced that they're okay but again who knows but uh... Yeah, but hopefully. And actually, I meant to say, actually, the very final question that I have that I've had from developers is in terms of pricing for the games. Now, 
my answer, because a developer has asked me, oh, what price do you think it should be? And my answer is always, well, it depends. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, because I know that there is also, there is this, you know, people think, gamers sometimes think that it's kind of funny because they, for a game that's maybe four or five hours long, and if it's 20 euros or 20 dollars, some people might think, oh, it's too expensive, but then they're happy to pay 70 dollars for a console release, which might be longer, but they yeah. might not be with, with with the story or it yep. might be crafting or you know whatever so do you have again any advice because again for people who who i mean again i've also had another question is people have asked is it possible to make a living out of making adventure games but then how you know they need to sell it at a certain price but then they're worried it might not sell as much so I mean, I, I guess the answer would be it depends. There's a you know, there's a lot to it. But do you have anything to say? First of all, pricing, and then secondly, and finally, then is if it's possible to make this a full time job for people, if if they wish, like there are some developers who have. If that yeah. makes any sense. No, no, definitely. Um, so pricing a game is. I don't want to copy exactly what you just said. Sure, sir. But yeah, <laughs> it, it very much does depend. Now. When I mentioned earlier in the podcast about uh, services we offer, like branding, and I've said like that will include pricing. We will, we what we would do is we would come back and say, well, your game falls into this kind of bill of games. Here's ten games that released last year, very similar to your game, at a same win like release window time of your game. Here's how much each game each game costs. So that will help give you an idea. You could get that information yourself, and and by means go do that. And that's the first thing I would say is look at your competitors. What do you class as your competitors? Look at your competitors. What are they offering? Then look through the reviews. If there's any negative reviews and people are saying too expensive, too expensive, too expensive, too expensive, too expensive, then you know that, okay, it's slightly too expensive. Um, so don't try and push your luck. That's the first thing I say is if you think most of your competitors are releasing the game around $15.99, which is a pretty standard price now in the UK, uh, don't. Don't necessarily go, oh, do you know, I can get 20 quid for this. I'll, I'll get 19.99. Yeah, I'll get the extra four quid. I'll push it out there. But then again, on the flip side, don't undersell yourself. And that's one of the biggest things. I, I'm working with a developer at the moment, and we're currently talking about pricing, and they are disagreeing with me. They want to make it, I won't say the game, but they want to make the game 7.99. I feel the game should be a 15.99 release. And it's straight up, but I, no, no, I, I want people to buy it. But I, I get what they're saying, but if, if people like the game, they'll buy the game. It's as simple as that. If people buy it like the game, they will buy the game. Your audience will buy the game anyway. The, the, the people on the fence, okay, there's an argument to say yes to buy an £8 game over a, over a £16 game, but you cannot be catering for that audience. You need to be standing by your decision and your game. Uh, we look at a game like Unavowed. I think Unavowed launched around about tenner. I'm trying to think now. On about about ten pound it released, which is an absolute steal. Like that is a. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I would say that's underpriced. That game would be for me minimum a fifteen pound game. If I paid fifteen pound for that game and I played through it, I, I would have been like, "This is a great game. This is absolutely fine." Um, Disco Elysium is a thirty-five pound game. Now, I don't think that's overpriced, but the biggest feedback I've had from it is people think it's overpriced because it's a. 35 pound game is pretty much what resident evil free remake is releasing and that's made from a triple a company on a massive franchise and people very much said well 35 quid for a, an unknown indie game i'm like it's a great game play it and they're like no 35 quid i'm not playing it 
So you can argue that they may be slightly overpriced on that one. Um, Beautiful Desolation was a £16 game. I think that's absolutely, from what I've played so far, an absolute spot on price for the game. And it's it's really hard, but you need to do your research on that. And you mm-hmm. need to back up with it. Do not fall victim to, please, that, oh, my game is five hours, it needs to be this price. Ten hours, it needs to be this price. Like, like that is the worst thing you can fall into. Because if you start doing that, what... what from my experience working with developers, what will end up happening is developers will add in content to justify the price of a game. And then that's when you come into something like Alien Isolation problem, where Alien Isolation is a great game, but it's five hours too long because it was a padded out game where it was like, oh, this is a 50 quid game. We need to make sure they get at least 13 hours gameplay in this. No, they gave me a seven hour tight story in that game. It would have been probably my game of the year, but that's me coming from a big Alien fan. It's... um. Don't fall victim to that because it will it will start manipulating your development of the game. Price comes at the end. Develop the game, make the game. If you're really stuck on it, then then what I would recommend is if you've if you've been building your seed, if you've planted your seed a year before the game's released and you've been building it up, then what you'll have is you'll have a community. You'll have a very close, tight knit community. If you really wanted to, what you could do is you could get a, a demo build. And give it out to the closest and most the most influential people, or not so influential, the people who have been around your game the longest, people who have been t- retweeting your game, liking your game, commenting on your Twitter posts, all that stuff, and give them a demo build. Say, look, thanks for your support. Here's demo build. I'm thinking about pricing the game at this price. What do you think? And get their feedback from it. That's market research. It's allowed. You're not. You are allowed to do that. And they'll come back and say, yeah, do you know what? I only play now, but yep, I'm brilliant. What it also does is, if you've done a good job with the demo, then it, it guarantees a sale because they're like, yeah, sweet, that was amazing. I'm going to play that. So, yeah, like, this, it is a case of it depends, but do not let that it depends fall into the length of a game. I loved Gone Home. Gone Home can mm. be finished in, in an hour, but I paid, I think I paid about £10 for that game. and I have no qualms paying £10 for that game. It was an hour long, but it was a great hour. And I appreciate people who are deep into these games, especially adventure games, would appreciate the time, the effort and the art form that it took to create this piece of art. And they'll be willing to support the developers for that. So do not undersell your game. Like that is the biggest advice I can give there. Obviously don't oversell your game, but most developers I deal with often say their price and I'm like, no, that's way too low, way too low. Um, yeah, don't undersell your game. Feel, have, try it out. Feel for it. Talk to people about it. Get advice if you need to. Again, contact me if you need to, and I'll give you free advice on it happily. But do not undersell your game. That's one of the biggest things. Second thing, yes, you can definitely make a living from making adventure games, making any game. Um, all I have to mention is Stardew Valley. Like concerned ape, Stardew Valley was made by one person. They made the art. They made the soundtrack. They made the, the pro everything. Concerned Ape made everything in that game. It took them four years and now a multi-millionaire. Like, yes, it's an anomaly. It's a, it's a standout game that kind of blew up. But you can make you can make money from video games. You can definitely make a living from a video game. That will come down to several things. It will come down to the size of your team. And it will come down to if you're with a publisher or not with a publisher. And that's another thing that I, I won't get into it now because it's a whole discussion for another time. But... A lot of developers feel like they have to get a publisher. And think about 
some publishers will end up taking 40% of your profits. Not all of them, but some will take 40% of your profits. Like, it's a lot, a lot of money. And if the game only goes on and, and, and say only goes on, but it goes and sells 30,000 units, then the chances are that that developer is, for, for doing a bit of marketing and getting it on Steam and, and getting it here and there, wherever, they are they are taking nearly as much as you who put four hours, four, sorry, four years into making that game. So I'm not saying publishers are bad. Publishers are great, but you need to know, when you go to a publisher, you need to know exactly what you're after and what you're getting from them. Otherwise, you can, I've seen too many times, people getting um, taken a slight advantage of. So there's actually a really good um, GDC talk that was actually done by um, Devolver Digital, who are obviously publishers. But they basically open the, the, the can up and say, look, publishers will take advantage of you. This is what you need to know if you're going to go for a publisher. And they really break it down really well. It's just going to GDC, uh, do I need a publisher, I think is what it's called. And it's on YouTube. Everyone can watch it. And if you're thinking about going to a publisher, watch that. And that will give you everything you need to know. Uh, but yes, you can make a living from games. I know people who have made a living from games. I know people who have left jobs uh, to now make their next game. You can definitely make a living from games. Is it a guaranteed overnight success? Absolutely not. It is a hard graft, grind, slog fest that will make you want to wish you never got into it at times. From what I've been told, I've never made a game. Um, but it's also extremely rewarding. And um, with hard work and getting the word out there, building, this is why marketing is so important. Do not feel like, oh my God, I have this amazing game. People are going to just find it because it won't happen. It will not happen. There are massive games. There are hugely successful, amazing games that people just just missed, completely missed. Something like Beautiful Desolation as well. Again, I've not finished it, but from what I've heard, it's really, really good. People are going to miss that game because it's just gone under the radar. Uh, Obra Dinn was another one. It's got bigger now. It's got a console release. But when it initially released, not many people have really heard of it. It was really kind of under the radar. And people were like, what's this game all about? Like, this looks really different and really cool. And again, it's just like Lucas Pope is such a nice, amazing developer. Uh, but it just wasn't really shouted about. I think it's because Lucas Pope is is also like that. Just kind of going, oh, yeah, here's my game. Give it a go. Right, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, but no, hopefully I answered the question. I kind of went on a bit of a tangent there. But, yes, you can make a living. And uh, pricing is tough, but do your research and you'll come up with what you feel is right. However, never undersell yourself. Great answer. That's. Uh, I think that's everything as well. That, again, you've provided great advice. And, again, people can contact you. You do provide yeah. services and, and advice, as we've mentioned. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, um, I suppose then now I've had all the that's all the questions that I've had. So where can people find you then if they wanted to contact you to want to find out more about what you offer? Yeah, so um, Neon Bedlam is available. It's we're on Twitter. If you just want to jump over on Twitter, we're just at Neon Bedlam. If you want, you can DM us if you really want to. You can comment on a post. Or if you want to be a bit more formal, uh, then you can head to the website and there is a contact page on the website. Uh, or if you really wanted to, you can contact me at lewis at um, neonbedlam.com email address if you're a developer you can contact me there if you're just a general person listening and you want to contact me by all means do so but i don't know if i'll be able to help you out tons it's just um yeah but any developers listening can contact me lewis at neonbedlam.com um but yeah or you can like i said you can follow us over on social media channels and um yeah like, like neon bedlam stemmed from my passion and my love for indie games and I want to help out as many indie devs as I possibly can. 
when we have clients who are keeping the lights on, then we can every now and then we do give away free services. We we are currently working with um, a game that's on itch.io and we are giving them a free press release because they're, they're releasing a demo soon. And we're doing a completely free press release and outreach to them because that's it's a, it's a one person team and they've already spent 18 months making this game. And it was like, do you know what? I played this game. I had a lot of fun with this game. I'll do this for you happily. We've got we've got enough going on at the moment that we can cover our backs to, to, to get this effectively one day's work done. So, yeah, we do give away free services every now and then. If, if people are want to reach out, then you by means do so. I'm a very honest person. I'll say, do you know what? We can't do that at the moment. Well, yes, we can do that at the moment. And like I said, but advice wise, I'll give as much advice as I can, advice as I can, while actually getting into what I would end up charging for, because obviously I just contradict myself then. Um, but yeah, no, that's where you can find us. Uh, Lewis at neonbedlam.com or neonbedlam on Twitter uh, or just neonbedlam.com. That's great. And I'd recommend that people at least check out your Twitter and check out your website because you do have a lot of information there. And again, I recommend people to get in touch with you because we can hear you're passionate. We can hear how passionate you are about helping others and about games in particular that you're very knowledgeable as well. And well, thank you then, Lewis, because it's been absolutely wonderful speaking to you. You've given some great, great advice that I hope people will find useful. Um, then before we finish, Dan, is there anything else that you would like to say to anybody listening? So if you wanted to take us out with anything that we haven't covered at all, if you wanted to mention. Oh, cool. <laughs> Probably <wow>. a lot. <laughs> um no, no, I think you kind of one thing I will say actually quickly is uh, I, I I forgot in the heat of the passion, I forgot one of my favorite adventure game series. Well, my favorite favorite adventure game series of all time, and my favorite game series of all time at the beginning, and that's the Witcher series. Oh, um, right, yes. Sorry, yeah, the Wits, yeah. Um I, I forgot to mention that, and I'm just gonna say now that is my yeah, I, I've played played all of them several times and they are amazing games i love them so yeah apologies i'm throwing it in now but um halfway through i thought wow wow how did i forget you <laughs> so um yeah but no i mean you covered everything so well um sure sure and yeah it's um yeah it's, it's been a pleasure being here to be honest and 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 chatting about games chatting about the marketing of yes. games just in general and yeah it's been a pleasure yeah i've really enjoyed it as well and i hope people find it useful i hope you find it useful you found it useful as well and yeah um and yeah i would definitely recommend to any developers out there who want help with getting to the game out the name you know out as well to definitely contact you and possibly use your services then as well because as well the developers can focus on creating the game and yep. you could then help with the marketing of it. So Yeah, exactly. Um, that's exactly what we aim to do. But yeah, okay. Well, with that then, um, so again, if we haven't covered anything, uh, people can then get in contact with you, as we mentioned as well. So uh, thank you so much then, Lewis. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I think we'll definitely be keeping in contact. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I look forward to it. Well, thank you very much. No, thank you. Cheers. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. 
now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you